everybody, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and today we are brought to you by, as always, the Film Yap. Go check out thefilmyap.com for all things film because, you know, they never shut up about movies over there. Now, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can just search Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. will pop up and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. So please send us your feedback, your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, all those things. Also, subscribe to us wherever you're listening to our show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the numerous other places you can find us. Please like, subscribe, follow, whatever you do. Uh, leave, you know, rate our show, leave leave a review, whatever you can to help us out. We really appreciate uh, that, and and uh, we our apologies for shameless self-promotion here, but you know what? <laughs> That's what we do. So please help us out. Um, on that note, though, uh, we're going to jump straight into our top 10 favorite films of 2020. We are on our, 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 our one through five this week, one through five. Uh, we had so many technical difficulties with last week's episode and this one uh, that I think the the running time ended up being like over three hours, and I was able to edit all of our technical difficulties and stuff out to be the length that this is, a little over two hours, I think. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, special thanks again to Joe Shear from the Film Yap and Matthew Sosi from WFYI and Film Sociology. Uh, they were really patient. Uh, they stuck with us. The total running time of both episodes, and by running time, I'm referring to the time that we talked. So the full length of our conversation with techno uh, technical difficulties and everything was over six hours. Isn't that crazy? We talked from like 2 to like 8.15 or something. It's ridiculous. Those guys are complete and absolute angels, okay? Pure-cut diamonds, these guys, for sticking with me and uh, getting through this. I don't know what happened, but hey, you're about to hear it. This is our 1 through 5, edited and pretty. All right, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, please, again, send us your, your favorite films. Send us uh, some movies that you'd like to hear us talk about. Whatever you want to do, just let us know at Medium Cool Pod on social media. Now, let's get straight to it. Joe, Matthew, and I talk about our top five favorite films of 2020. We are here again with Matthew Sosi and Joe Shearer. We are going to be doing our top five now, the top five choices in our top 10 favorite films of 2020. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with a recap, and I'll begin that just so we can get through uh, my crap, and then I'll go to Matthew and then Joe, and we'll just recap what our five, our, uh, six through 10 were. Uh, and my number 10 was Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. My number nine was The Vast of Night. My number eight was Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. My number seven was The Painted Bird. And I also added a, uh, you know, viewer discretion is advised. And then uh, my number six, the last one I talked about was Uncle Frank by Alan Ball, uh, a really moving picture. Uh, Matthew, uh, could you recap your six through ten for us? Absolutely. And yes, these are films I actually did watch. So yeah. <laughs> up yours, both of you. Uh, number My number 10 was The Assistant. My number nine is I'm Your Woman. Number eight, Promising Young Woman. Number seven, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. 
and number six, the 20th century. Nice. Yes. And and Joe, your six through 10, please. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just say, you know, I saw 200 movies from this past, from 2020, and there's still a lot I haven't, I still haven't seen some of yours, Austin. So, you know, I, I gotta be like, we can't give you too much crap because you haven't seen some of these. So thank you. There's thank a ton. You. So, so anyway, my, my number 10, the 20th century, uh, number nine was one night in Miami. Eight is another round. Seven, never, rarely, sometimes, always. And six was the glorious. Nice. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy with how never, rarely, sometimes, always fit with all of us being able to talk about that. But I know yeah. we're going to be talking about some of those again. And we're going to go ahead and start with our number five. And I'm going to let, again, our guest Matthew uh, begin with your number five. Go ahead and tell us what you chose. All right, my number five film from 2020 is the latest film adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma, starring <laughs> starring Anya Taylor Joy. Um, I um, I love costume dramas, and this is no disrespect to David Copperfield, but this was my this was my costume uh, period piece film of the year. <laughs> of um, and, you know, every generation uh, has their stories of Shakespeare, Austen dickens you know all the classic authors and it's been a quarter century since the gwyneth paltrow version and what i like similar to what the uh um david copperfield film earlier this year is it moves and it's it scrapes off a lot of the masterpiece theater aspects of these stories that we've probably seen dozens and dozens of times, at least I have. Um, it, I think it works really well. I think Anya Taylor-Joy, who, it's funny, I just found The Witch on uh, on Blu-ray, and I, I can't wait to revisit that. Um, but it's just it's just a fun romp of, of Austonian stuff, That's uh, and, and I enjoy it a great deal. So uh, that's why Emma is my, my number five. Yeah, I'll go ahead and just say this, then pass it on to Joe. Um, I, ha- I didn't get a chance to see Emma or the David Copperfield movie. Those were not pressing pictures. Uh, though Emma, as time went on, I had a ton of movies kind of prioritized on my letterbox list, and these are ones I want to make sure I get to. And Emma wasn't on there, but as we are here again with Tin List came out right at the turn of the year, I saw mm-hmm. more praise either as honorable mentions or on the lists for Emma. It's one I got to get to, man. So so now, see, I'm, I'm starting off uh, as, as the Matthew of the group. Uh, but, Joe, but I'm, I'm sure – go ahead. Yeah, and I'm ho- I mean, I'm hoping if you know, and this is for a point. If if you're a fan of Clueless, you should really check out a version of the original source, <laughs> and and I think this would be a really wise one to start with. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Mm-hmm. I would have never thought that was the thing. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, because now I have to watch it with my wife because she absolutely adores Clueless, and I like Clueless too. So uh, that's well, there exciting. you go. There you go, Joe. What do you think of it? Yeah, I I love Clueless also, and I have. Not seen this movie as well. I also did not see the uh, personal history of David Copperfield. Um, In your face! Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> so you got you got us on one. Uh, yeah, I love Anya Taylor Joy, um, but I I tend to roll my eyes at at Jane Austen adaptations just because they do it so damn much. <laughs> Even like you know. Like any of those, you know, kinds of feel like Little Women last year was like the one you guys all loved. And I was like, screw that. Like I tried to watch that. Like I tried to watch Little Women last year and I was like, 
I can't make myself care about this movie. I don't know why, but I just don't want to watch it. And I did. I watched like 20 minutes of it and turned it off. Um, that's my, you know, that's one of my personal things. But that's just a um, cardinal sin to me, Joe. That you just turned. You didn't even finish yeah. the movie. Yeah, I just, I just bailed. I was like, I got other things that that I that have a chance of making my list that I can watch. So I bailed. You know, um, I I don't do it that much, but I do it sometimes if I. If, I don't do it that much. Yeah, yeah. Be, being a completist this. is a uh, is a real curse. But uh, Joe, why don't we hop on to your top or your number five rather? Uh, yeah, yeah, that my number, yeah, my number five. We're we're, we're shifting gears here. Um, so um, Joe Shearer's catchphrase: "We're shifting gears here." Shifting the whole time. gears. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm I'm going with Possessor. Uh, that was uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. That is David's son, I believe. Um, it stars Andrea Riseborough, uh, Christopher Abbott, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, so it's a this is a bizarre sort of quasi take on Avatar, maybe some kind of sorta. Um, so uh, it basically it follows um, uh, an, an agent for this kind of strange clandestine organization that they use they put brain implants inside of people that allows them to take over for their bodies and then it is bizarre it is it's gruesome and gory and uncomfortable in the way a film directed by someone with the last name of Cronenberg should be and, <laughs> and it is uh, it, it's a, it's one of those just complete mind trip films that messes with you and stays with you when the, when the film is over and just disturbs you for a while. And that's exactly what this one did. I'm, I'm just going to go short and sweet on it and not jump into a bunch of details. Um, but it is a film to be seen. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this before I pass it on uh, to Matthew. Uh, this is higher on my list, so I might I might wait and talk a bit, uh, a bit more there. Um, but this is a Canadian film, so this is the other half. You have 20th Century. Okay, super Canadian. And then you have the other side of Canada. Um, and this uh, possessor and and you broke up a little bit, Joe. Um, not not a not a big deal, but I'm going to I'm going to run through this again real quick for you, okay? So the film follows Tasia Voss, which is Riseboro's character, an elite corporate assassin who uses brain implant technology to take control of other people's bodies and terminate high-profile targets. So this is uh, basically an assassin movie, but just a really interesting take on on uh, what it means to be an assassin and, and how you, that works. Uh, but yeah. as she sinks deeper into her latest assignment, Voss becomes trapped inside a mind that threatens to obliterate her. And uh, that's basically, um, uh, I think, a fairly good summation. Uh, I might talk a little bit more about this when we get there on my list. But, uh, Matthew, what do you think of Possessor? Um, I, it, it is also a thing. Um I yeah I saw it and it didn't it didn't move me as much as it did for you guys. Um, it makes more sense than Tenet, um, and unlike a Cronenberg film, there's no leg wound fucking in this one. So um, <laughs> crash reference. I mean, there also is that. Criterion <laughs> Collection. But go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. also a Criterion <laughs> Collection. So um, yeah, it's it, it's disturbing, but it, it it didn't really rattle. It didn't rattle ring my bell as it, as it did compared to you guys. Yeah, 
I just well, I, to, I'm just pro- to, to quote to quote Billy Bob Thornton's Willie from Bad Santa. They can't all be winners, kid. more quotes than ever on this show um i I want to say this and and this actually might sum up a lot of what i would say when we get there so we'll see but i will say this um obviously brandon is compared to his dad a lot that happened with antiviral also with um possessor as well i think possessor though takes him into a place where i think brandon cronenberg is someone to keep your eye on that will become in the future uh just like one of those he'll never be i'm not saying he should be but like those big names that started off small and they became huge like a nolan or someone like that he's never going to be that um i don't think but he's going to be one of those guys i hope that in the future we look back and we go Mm. oh shit that dude stuff's awesome and it's like the cinephiles know that guy right maybe not the the household name uh, because I, I uh, unlike Matthew, I the whole time I'm like watching this, not to throw you under the bus, Matthew, but um, That's right. I'm like watching this and I'm just like, the story isn't that crazy. Like, I, I didn't have a hard time following it. I didn't uh, I didn't think it was anything overly even unique. But the execution mm-hmm. of this shit, man, all the practical effects when they go into like whenever she's kind of literally almost like melting into someone's mind. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, the execution of this is just on a personal level, just right down my alley. Like this, if I'm going to watch some sort of like semi like body horror thriller, you know, or whatever, like this, this is where I'm going. Like, this is the thing I want. This is what in a fucked up way entertains me because this movie is grim, dude. <laughs> like, I yeah, mean, really. it's, I just love bummers. Joe knows this about me. Matthew, you're learning this very quickly. I love a good bummer, dude. I like, love bummers. Take, dude, f- first class ticket to Bummerville. That's what I'm paying for. And uh, Possessor is just, it's a wild ride. Um, but did you want to say something else, Matthew? I feel like I cut you off, man. Sorry. So, so no, no, it's all right. So, so Cronenberg's not going to do a Marvel film anytime soon. <laughs> I want to see that movie though. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's we like, all do. it's like when Darren Aronofsky was supposed to do the Wolverine movie. And I was just oh, like, oh, I want to see what that is. Like, I don't even know if it's good, <laughs> but I want to see that thing. Um, I would love to see Brandon Cronenberg do like the incredible Hulk or something like, give me something yeah. that actually has depth that someone can tap into that. No one ever taps into because Hulk smash. Right. Yeah. Um, the problem though that would also come with some dubstep remix of the sad <laughs> dude the, the, i don't have to kill somebody that's that's sacred music right there yeah this the soundtrack <laughs> rules though uh on possessor um i i found it to be pretty subtle and uh Absolutely. I, again talk cool. about quiet movies like uh, this year yeah. i feel like most of the movies i loved many of them didn't even really have like huge soundtracks or anything. I mean, it was, they were again, a perfect example would be like the assistant or never rarely, sometimes always. I have others on my list, even coming up that do the same thing. Um, and, and I just find that interesting because I know I've been out of it for a couple of years, but when I was still into it, everything was blockbuster and every movie was still trying to be like bad education from this year. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of like it's moving quick, lots of music, lots of snap, snap, snap. And, uh, I mean, the vast of night, quiet, quiet movie, never really, sometimes always painted bird, painfully quiet. Uncle Frank has a nice, 
you know, uh, soundtrack, but it's like still a fairly quiet movie. I mean, I, I love that about this year. And Possessor is no, no exception. Uh, same thing. Uh, my number five is a movie that um, I found out because of the, the IFJA uh, list. There were like 30 movies or something on there. And as soon as I saw that list when it was announced, they all went on my list. I just wanted to try to find as many. <laughs> this is one that was on there, though. And I didn't get to it until like last week or something. And um, it's uh, by directors James Lebrecht and Nicole Newman, uh, Noonham. It's uh, the documentary Crip Camp. Uh, which is, uh, you know, takes place in the early, uh, starts off at least in the early 1970s. Uh, a revolution blossoms in a ramshackle summer camp for disabled teenagers ran by hippies, as they say. Uh, the experience transformed their young lives and ignited a landmark movement that spanned decades, focused on fighting for human rights and disabled citizens. When this film started, it was one of those that had I shut it off a half an hour in, would not have been on my list. Like it would have been one that I might have shut off. It's not that I wasn't engaged, but I just I don't know. It just I I guess maybe I didn't get it. By the halfway point, I'm already starting to see throwbacks to this camp, right? And like how that actually ultimately affected their lives. By the end, I'm crying. <laughs> like, you know, like again, another like this really really moved me. But another thing is I think this film uh, more so than than a lot of other documentaries that were timely for this kind of era, I think this film is super important because it actually fits into 2020 really well. I think um, you know uh, as we watched and still watch fights for racial justice and women's rights and LGBTQ rights, um, yeah. you know uh, you know once once George Floyd was murdered and we had this huge onslaught of of uh, you know protests and all this, all of these other marginalized groups you know, started standing up for themselves. And one thing that we never, ever hear about, I feel like, at least in my world and through my lens, is disabled the disabled community. I never hear about this. And and the film was incredibly eye-opening for me and moving as hell. And I could not believe that, like, I knew that the disabled community was definitely, like, essentially, like, mistreated and oppressed. I didn't realize up to when. Like, I didn't realize in my lifetime, people didn't have, like, ramps. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, why would I know that? Yeah. I am an able-bodied human. Like, I, I wouldn't know that. And I think that's part of the power of this doc is it made me realize how not woke I am. And before I move on, Matthew, I, I want to give you a chance to respond. I, it, it's, it's right up there with finding out when women were allowed to have a bank account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, it's that it's that kind of holy shit, uh, really aspect to it. Um, continue, please. I'll, I'll... No, no, no. I mean, that that's a great point. And, and my wife and I again watched this as well. Same thing. She's like playing Animal Crossing, and she just starts watching it, and eventually just turns around and watches because it, it's it's really uh, engaging. And and um, there's a section of the film. This is this is one that that particularly kind of shook me and and moved uh, moved me toward really loving this more and it's it's the uh, it's the moment where the disabled protesters are doing the 504 sit-in you know that mm -hmm. whole sequence and yeah. watching it, it's not the same as if like black lives matter protesters did a sit-in somewhere these people are actually suffering while sitting in like they like in theory they shouldn't be able to exist in this place as a protest sit-in because they need such specialized care, but they're doing it 
anyways. And that kind of sacrifice and and uh, determination. And we're talking about you know a lot of people with uh, who suffered from polio, cerebral palsy, um, you know, um, uh, quadriplegics from a variety of different you know it could be from wars or whatever like. Uh, I mean, all kinds of people coming from all different aspects of life, all different, you know, quote unquote disabilities. And these people are there to fight for their rights. And um, I found that to be just incredibly moving and eye opening. And, you know, like we're in the middle of people fighting in the same way, you know, both using the government like judicial system and, and the executive branch to fight for certain rights, but also on the streets, you know, and um I just, I love that. The other thing I want to bring up, and then I'll let you guys, if you have a comment on this, um, you know, I also love how they also allowed room for one of the cerebral palsy um, uh, interviewees, uh, Denise Jacobson, um, someone, you know, like I said, who has cerebral palsy, but um, like they allowed her to discuss sex and sexuality, which Mm -hmm. I thought was like really empowering. Like, I really love this because we don't think of people with disabilities as sexual creatures. It's like if you have a a um, a uh, what many would maybe call like a uh, I, I already lost the phrase I was going to use, but so something to like cerebral palsy, like something that severe from most people's view, um, they're immediately like asexualized, right? And it's really great that like Denise talks about like having sex with this bus driver and then like going on because like she was pregnant and someone's like, like who, wait, you had sex. Like what's like, he was so baffled by this that it led her to go get a master's degree in human sexuality, just almost like as a fuck you to like all these people. I mean, like those types of scenes were just unexpectedly powerful to me. I'm assuming you've both seen it. Let me know if you have, I'm going to go ahead and start with Matthew. And, uh, what, what'd you think of this? Well, first off, let's never forget the sexual dynamo that was Stephen Hawking. (laughs) That man, hey. So anyway, um, yeah, I I really, really love this film. It really bummed me out. This is probably my number 11. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, as you have already said, as far as the importance and the parallels of what's going on today, and I'm a sucker for... The and I put this in the same category as the s- stories like uh, "Standing in the Shadows of Motown" or "20 Feet from Stardom" is the fact that these folks finally get to tell their story. Yes, and they're, they're lovely, cool, interesting people who get to tell their story, and that's uh, on top of all of the, the the stuff that you had already mentioned. Yeah, uh, it's so yeah, really, really happy uh, that this is on your list, and I hope more people get to see. It, I should mention. It's a really good year for documentaries. Oh and my I God, think a so lot good. of documentaries, because yeah. of the pandemic, got more views. And uh, it helped that it was a particularly strong field this year. And I know we've already mentioned some stuff. And I, and another one is coming. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, I'm really happy about this film. Same for me with another one coming, actually. But uh, the documentaries, yeah. Joe, I can't wait for our 2020 wrap mm-hmm. session because... I, I just want to talk about docs almost the whole time. I just feel like every doc right. I saw was good um, mm-hmm. to varying degrees, maybe. But it's funny because as whenever you're looking at lit lists as a critic, like when you watch so many movies, like I said, I saw like 60 movies in four weeks or something. And when you watch that many, it's difficult to remember 
every nuance of every movie. So you kind of re- rely on your notes or on, you know, uh, your ratings maybe. And a large part of yep. this is ratings. So would Crip Cam- I, I rated Crip Cam higher than all the other ones below it. <laughs> you know, And it's like, yeah. it kind of, this is where it was. Um, so I, I'd have to maybe do some more thinking on where maybe uh, it should be, but I'll tell you what, it's on the list and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be kicked off for sure. I love this movie. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. Um, it's just ready to go. And I want to say something before I pass it to you, Joe, if you have anything to say. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever I went into this, uh, it was on the IFJA list. So that's a big reason why I wanted to see it. Cause I thought maybe it would be on one of, your lists, you know, or something. And I just wanted to try to cover bases. But whenever I saw that it was produced by the Obamas, I thought, man, this is going to be some like Oscar bait thing. You know, like I thought, and it's nothing against the Obamas, but usually when people that aren't typically involved in film get involved in film, it's usually for, I don't know, something that I don't usually connect with. And that is not the case here. I mean, I, I, it's almost like they made the film and then the Obamas were like, let's put our names on this so you can get more views. Uh, because, uh, this is a powerful thing. Uh, Joe, did you want to say something? Well, I I will. Number one, I'm going to say, yes, it was a very strong year for documentaries. Um, at one point, I think like six of my top 10 were documentaries. Um, not obviously not the case now, but, um, there were a ton Having said that, this is not one that I got to. So I have, oh, I have wow. no excuse. I and I have even doubly so because I have a friend who um, I actually have met through the through the um, movie screening community um, who is in a wheelchair, and um, he actually told me about Crip Camp months before it was on any of our radars. I think he saw it on HBO or whatever platform it was on and was like, Hey, have you seen this? You need to watch it. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And I promptly did not. So yeah. yeah, So that, that's my shame. I might, maybe I have to watch it tonight as my penance for that. But um, I have heard a lot of good things about it. And and, uh, uh, it's nice to see it on your list, uh, certainly at this point. Um, And yeah, as far as documentaries go, um, I have another one yet to go on my list as well. So Joe is Sir Paul humming. (laughs) <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> we love inside jokes. Um, well, so, <laughs> um, so he's, he's talking about Richard Propes, one of our fellow critics. And no, I'm uh, actually not talking about Richard. No, um, I'm talking about someone else. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, tell me stupid, and then I'll <laughs> shut up. <laughs> well, well, I mean, Rich, and Richard is was this was this was actually long before Richard was championing it himself. Okay. Um, again, will be strike two against me. Um, now that you say that. <laughs> yeah, it's... Glad to help. It's Glad funny. So, uh, but go ahead, go ahead. Richard, Richard's been a guest on my show, and his intro is probably one of the reasons why film sociology never became a a, a bigger show on the FM airwaves. Yeah. It's He loves it, and I love it, but it's yeah. uh, it's questionable in its content. So, we'll leave <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll just say this, and then we can, we can move on. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say Richard is a double amputee, so also is in a wheelchair, and he is very, very fond of making jokes about his lack of feet, and um, it it makes us all very uncomfortable slash amuses <laughs> us because it's it's really difficult to kind of join in on that 
but at the same time, it's it's great to appreciate the way that he approaches the whole thing. So I, I took a couple of those jokes and spliced them with uh, a Beatles song and dialogue from Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And if you can figure that out, you're in good shape. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I'll just say this before we move on to uh, to Matthew's number four. Uh, another thing that I love about Crypt Camp real quick is, uh, it's also a, in a year where I feel like there's been even way more representation of not only great female leads, but also like African Americans leading movies this year. Um, I love this as a film of representation as well. Yes, it's a doc. Yes, these are real people. But again, we've all kind of hinted at this or directly touched on it. What other movie has done what this movie does for the disabled community? I can't think of one. There might be one that exists, but at least this one has a platform like Netflix to be able to reach such a wide audience. And, you know, um, this movie, if someone's not used to being around disabled individuals, this movie might be a little uncomfortable at first Mm because it's it's. I think it can be uh, challenging if you're not used to being around kind of this. But I think it also shines a really beautiful light and shows them as the true and 100% human beings, just like us, that they are. Um, And I don't know. I found this film to be incredibly, incredibly powerful. Again, it is uh, ready to stream on Netflix. So go check that out. Uh, Matthew, why don't we move on to your number four, brother? What's that? I. My number four, as we are sticking in the documentary genre, this is the highest rated documentary for me on my list, but it's the, uh, the documentary Time. Oh. And it is, it, is, it is a woman, Sybil Fox Richardson, mother of six. Crazy. Also served time, for, but it, and has, is fighting to get the release of her husband, who's in a 60-year prison sentence for bank robbery, of which she was a part of, served her time, and has has since gotten out, become a, a a business person, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, and fighting to get her husband out of jail. And it's a combination of home videos from them. And early, early on, I wondered if, oh God, is the whole thing going to be shot like this? But it it is spliced in with new footage of her trying to get her husband out. And we we've mentioned already about the political world, the social world that we were in with 2020 and and all that. And that covers this and the stiff sentence that she has. But this determination of this woman, the fr- the moment you see of her with, and getting frustrated, even though she is a business-wise, entrepreneur-wise, a very smooth operator, but to see her determination frustration and not really to give away anything but when the film ends i let out a big as big an exhale as i did watching this that i did watching free solo yeah. uh, it's it's that powerful the, the, dude time it, it's literally my my number 15 like on honorable mentions i have it like just didn't right. you know it didn't quite get there i adore this man i mean as someone who's taught public speaking for years what a powerful speaker she is. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like for, cause I think it defeats this idea that criminals are a certain way. Like she was convicted for a crime that she was a part of, but she's not who you think that like, whenever I heard that, even I was like, almost like, Oh shit, she was involved in like, 
Interesting. Because mm-hmm. she's just not who you who many people, I should say, would expect. And and she is just a, a really powerful speaker, a strong mother. Um, and and just to clarify, and it's something I love about the film. We're not talking about someone who was innocent of the crime. She's trying to get her husband out of jail, and he did the thing. It was just yep. an unfair sentence and unfair circumstances she's fighting. And I think that is a really powerful kind of uh, point to bring up to the film because it's not just about someone trying to get someone off, you know, uh, out out of the uh, uh, right. jail or or off death row or any. We've seen those before. This is a different thing. This is this is. I'm trying to get the person that did the thing out, but we're looking at the justice system as something unfair. Right. Sixty years for one robbery. One robbery. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's I don't know it, it's 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 just really crazy um, for for a a minute like I think the same day I watched Time I watched another one that bumped it off but it was my number ten and it just very quickly got like bumped off unfortunately and then slowly just moved down a bit it's so great I can't stress because uh, I actually love the way it's shot though I agree with you if I was watching like ninety minutes of just the opening it could get maybe a little. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like sluggish, I guess. But it really saves itself once they get into her in present day. Basically, beautiful yeah. black and white. Both, both. <coughs> sorry, I just choked myself. Uh, both the uh, home video stuff and the kind of more pristine looking uh, modern day stuff. Really, really great pick, man. Uh, really good number four. Joe, did you see time? <laughs> did I mention how many documentaries I've seen this year? <laughs> I didn't see this one either. Oh my! God. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Damn! Oh. I watched so many, and I yeah, this did not get on. This did not make it in front of my eyes for for whatever reason. You're a bad person. Well, since you didn't see it, why don't we hear something you did see? What's your number something, four, Joe? Something I did see. My number four. We have already talked about, so we can uh, we can very quickly move past it. Um, unless we have something more to add about promising young woman. Oh yeah. 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 We already talked about that. I feel good about it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I, again, I enjoyed it. It was a terrific movie. Um, We talked about it last week. Uh, If you, if you want to know what I thought in in more depth, um, yeah, go back to last week's episode and uh, um, you can listen and and hear all that. It it was, it's, you know, spoiler alert. It's, it's good. Some people don't like it, but I, I kind of did. It's yeah. a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, a little of this. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Number four is a uh, is a, a a repeat. So that is promising yeah. young woman. Uh, mine, and I'm surprised. I'm assuming maybe there will be more of this uh, love as we go. Uh, but my number four is going to start with me justifying why this is not a cheat. And then okay. you guys can can uh, do whatever you want, but it's my show, so fuck you. So um, <laughs> number four, <laughs> number four, I am cho- I have on the list small acts, uh-huh. uh, but ah, this is actually yes. a collection of five films. Uh-huh. If I if gun to my head, if I have to pick one, Mangrove is my personal favorite, but I think the best film all around is Lovers Rock. Um, but I am choosing small acts as a whole, and I'll tell you why. Here's my justification. It is I, I, I concede that it's that it's uh, f- five separate films, mm-hmm. but small acts I think is not equal to the sum of its parts. I think it's actually better when seen together, 
because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like with the exception of Lover's Rock, which I think is the most complete film, all of the other ones feel felt for me incomplete. Like they weren't com- like as a u- solo, completely by itself standalone film. There were, seemed like there was maybe a little something missing, but I loved them. But then mm-hmm. whenever I started watching them together, because I saw Mangrove and Lover's Rock first. And then I saw the last three like a week later, like back to back. So I didn't watch all of them back to back. But um, Tasha Robinson from uh, Paragon, and she's also on uh, the Next Picture Show. Um, she made this argument as well because she had small uh, acts on there, and it made me feel a little less bad about putting all these movies on there. But just a real quick thing before I get into my to my spiel here: uh, Steve McQueen, the guy who brought us Hunger and Shame and Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, and more, but he the, here he brings us just, I mean, who makes five movies in a year and they're all this good? Give me a break. I mean, this is, uh, anyways, it, it's from the UK and um, it's, it's uh, an anthology basically of five stories looking at the lives of a group of friends and families in London's West Indian community. Um, and it's basically from the late 1960s to the early 80s, all of them take place. So the first film is Mangrove, which follows the true story of the Mangrove Nine, Frank Critchlow and uh, the trial that took place at uh, Old Bailey in 1970. This is um, basically your uh, courtroom drama of the group. Lover's Rock is your experiential drama of the group, which is a fictional story of young love and and music uh, at a blues party in the early 1980s, a film that by itself is not so much plot driven as much as you get to live in this world for what is it? An yeah. hour and some change. I mean, it's short. It's not a long thing. Most of these movies are actually an hour and change. Um, and then there's Red, White, and Blue, uh, which has John Boyega from Star Wars fame, and uh, mm-hmm. it spotlights the true story of Leroy Logan, played by Boyega, who at a young age saw his father assaulted by two policemen, and um, I'll change that to police officers, and motivating him to join the Metropolitan Police and change their racist attitudes from within. This is the classic SLC punk. I'm going to change from within, but because of where we are in society and with the BLM movement and everything, I think it adds a whole different kind of ball game to to that film in particular. Very good. Uh, The fourth one was Alex Weedle. And for listeners who haven't watched these, these were all released like a week apart, I think. Like they're... It was almost episodic in a way, but um, yeah. I guess literally it was. But uh, Alex Weedle follows the true story of award-winning writer Alex Weedle, played by Shayi Cole, uh, from a young boy through his early adult years. Really great one. And then this one, because I'm an edu- I have been an educator, um, education was actually surprisingly powerful to me on a personal level. And it's a, a coming-of-age story about 12-year-old Kingsley who has a fascination with astronauts and rockets. When Kingsley is pulled uh, to the headmaster's office for being disruptive in class, he discovers he's being sent to a school for those with special needs, quote-unquote. These are the five films. These are very brief synopses of them. Uh, Each of these films, I think I gave around a four out of five each for all of them, but all together was a higher rating. Like luckily letterbox lets you just do small acts, like just the one. So, um, <laughs> but I, I think it works because each individual film like mangrove, it's a courtroom drama about these specific people. Lovers rock follows these, uh, particularly one woman, but these two, this couple that are going to go to this uh, blues concert, you know, you have, um, or, or, or the young lady and her friend rather red, white, and blue is Boyega's character becoming a cop and trying to figure that out. These are all individual stories, 
But when you watch them together, it's, it's less about them being complete stories and more a moment, a, a projection, a view of what it was like living in London in the 60s through the 80s in this West Indian community. And um, again, I, I think it is more than the sum of its parts. I think altogether this is actually uh, a feat that I can't think of many other filmmakers that they could pull off. I'm incredibly impressed that he pulled off five incredible movies in one year, uh, any number of which could be in my top ten. In some way, this is probably a way for me to just condense it. But I stand by Small Axe as an anthology, uh, being mm-hmm. one, because for me, it has its own unique experience seeing all five of them. Matthew, what do you think of Small Axe as a whole? I I am with you on that. I I made sure when I did my list that I gave it an, an honorable mention because I, I know we're we, we've been debating. I I remember when we were debating about the OJ documentary whether that should oh, yeah. qualify <laughs> as or not. Yeah. So great one. So the, yeah, and so I I love these five films as well. It did you know, but because of my head, my old head, and whether it was released or screamed or whatever, but I wanted to make sure I acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I loved all five of these stories. By the way, it's a reggae house party. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. That guy. It's Jamaican blues, whatever. But um, but no, to, to jump into this world and see these really good, I mean, with the exception of John Berger, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. And they all get to sharpen their blades in the acting department and all five fascinating stories. I watched these in two days. I just plowed through them and, and it's a great postcard of this particular moment in time with a community that doesn't get a chance to say, say much and they get a chance to say it in this. And I was enthralled with all five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joe, did you, which one of these did you see? Yeah, I saw the first three of, of the five. And yeah, I, I loved all three of them. Um, and I yeah, I, I wish I'd come back to see the last two now. Um, but uh, again, these are, you know, as we said, they're available on Amazon, right? Um, the, that, I don't know if we count it as a spoiler or not. That closing scene in, in Small Rock is just, it, it's just a like an expression, right? It, it doesn't, it's not, it's it's really hold on with Steve. Whew. All right. Whoa, so it, that was nice muting skills, dude. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, like, I'm so you real just, quick, I'm you're like, talking about lovers thinking. rock. You're talking about lovers rock, right? I'm talking yeah, let me start over. Yeah, let me start over. Yeah, um the the last scene of Lovers Rock, and I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but um is just this weird kind of emotional expression. And it's it's so powerful. And it, it just goes on and on. It's it's just a crowd of people singing a song, right? And they just sing over and over, and it's amazing. And it ended, and, and I was like, "What? Wait, what happened? Did, what what happened there?" And I had to go back and watch part of it again. And I was like, "I totally get it," <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and it's something that in you know, if you forgive the term black cinema, you don't see a lot. You know, a lot of a lot of black cinema is, of course, focused on civil rights and. And, um, and of course, several of these films are, are, you know, as well, but that moment is just like this expression of joy that just, it just grabbed me and I, I loved it. Um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, Mangrove and Red, Right and Blue, you know, the other two I saw, 
same thing. Terrific. Just terrifically done. Um, yeah, going back to our our old um, arguments about the the nature of cinema, what counts as a film and what counts as, as TV and what counts as a series. Um, yeah, we we just I think we just finally gave up the ghost on that and and uh, just let this be in the running. And uh, I, I'm glad that they were because um, I probably wouldn't have watched them otherwise. And, and I'm very glad that I I saw them. And it's um it, it's an interesting set of films because it's not American at all. Yeah. And most of the time when, when we're focusing on race relations, we focus on America in film. And, and here you see, boy, it's not much different in, you know, in, in England by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Go for it, Matthew. Yeah. Well, no, that, that's just an, it's just an opportunity for me to have one of my favorite moments uh, on radio when I was on Abdul Kim Shabazz's, uh, morning show back when he was at uh wxnt and we were discussing uh one of my favorite actors chuatel ejiofor yeah. and a caller referred to him as that english african-american uh, <laughs> and when yeah. no, that's, that's no, rough yeah half england half nigeria no america there's no yeah. america there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, again, it, it, if I had to choose one film to put in this place, I'd choose Mangrove. The reason I think Lovers Rock, though, is uh, just the most complete is because it's purely experiential. There really doesn't need to be a plot, whereas the other ones kind of have a beats that you can follow. That one is yeah. so powerful in terms of just the camera kind of floating around the room. And though there is technically a quote-unquote like protagonist, she's not there the whole time. I mean, there are a lot of times where she leaves and the camera just floats and allows you to be a part of one of these, uh, yeah. one of these uh, parties that if I understand correctly, and I could be wrong, don't quote me on it, but Steve McQueen uh, used to be involved in parties like this. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe his parents were, I read something where this was uh, something he wanted to convey because it was personal to him. So whatever that means, but uh I just, like I said, I choose to put all five of these. Yeah, it's probably a cheat. I don't really care. If it means that more people will go see all five of these, I don't give a shit. Uh, they're really great, and they are very, very much Steve McQueen movies. If you've seen other Steve McQueen movies, he, you know, there's a scene in Mangrove where they're all just partying outside of the, the restaurant, and it goes on for like two minutes, which is a long time in movie time. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he has a habit of just like focusing on something for what almost feels too long, but then he'll like cut uh, all, mm -hmm. all of his little like Id idiosyncrasies are like right there. And I mean that with, as a compliment, I mean, this is, this is, if he wasn't already considered an auteur, this is kind of his, his cementing into being like his own, very much like a stylized filmmaker. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really great. If you have a prime account, you can watch these for free. Otherwise I'm sure you can rent them. Um, really great. Can't, can't, can't yeah. speak highly enough of them. And again, like I said, as I was watching them, I didn't think that they would be in my top 10 until I finally got through them. And I was like, man, this is so powerful as a whole. So check those yeah. out. I want to move on to number three, Matthew's number three. Uh, why don't you share that with us, buddy? Okay, my number three film of 2020 is also falls into the quiet category. Nice. I like to call it the anti-Western first cow. Okay. <laughs> from 
from Kelly Rich, uh, Reichardt, and it's uh, John Magaro, Orion Lee, Toby Jones, probably the most familiar person in this. And it's it's a it's a buddy film, but not really. It's a western, but it's not. And it's a, a cook, a, 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 a you know, the the kind of stock character of the cook who was on a on a trail, who teams up with a uh, a Chinese immigrant. And they start a little business of making successful uh, and delicious biscuits, but they're stealing the milk from the cow of a, uh, a wealthy uh, business owner, played by Toby Jones. And there's the, the kind of the twist on the western because it's not a gun. There's no gunfights and there's no showdowns per se. There, there is, but there isn't. But it's not in the Ford Leone, what have you, sense of it. You have this really <laughs> fun collaboration this this kind of odd pair odd, odd coupling and uh you know kelly the director has done another what i call anti-western called meek's cutoff of course also did wendy and lucy and old joy but uh but it was just fun to watch these guys operate and it, when it felt like it was going to fall into a Western territory, the traditional Western territory of when there's a chase or, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a, a posse of sorts, it, 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 uh, it, uh, it dodges that, I should say. Yeah. Um, it's a really understated and really enjoyable. It's, it's kind of the art house buddy film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed being in this in this uh, section of Oregon for for the time that I did. Yeah, Joe, do you have any feelings you want to share? I'll go last. Yeah, I uh, you know I I enjoyed this movie maybe not as mu- not as much as you and not as much as a lot of other people um, who nominated it, but it was it was just a fun movie. It was the kind of movie where I was about twenty minutes in, twenty five minutes in, and I'm going, "What is this movie about?" And you know, and then I'm like, "Oh, this movie really is about these two guys milking a cow in the middle of the night and making biscuits for people." And then, and then I, you know, and then when I said that to myself, I kind of grasped the the gravity of it, right? I'm like, "Oh, well, yeah." So this guy is gonna, you know, this guy, it's his cow, and his cow's not gonna give any milk, and he's gonna get pissed and and, and want to kill him, right? So, um, yeah, it, it was it was a kind of a fun. And and I, I I call it a light-hearted almost not maybe not quite light-hearted but it was light um, in the um, I don't know the, the the tone of it the the feel of it was a little bit lighter um, it, not that it was a comedy or anything it certainly wasn't but um, it, it wasn't as 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 thick as some other films so it was it, it's easy to, for for an art house film especially it's easy to follow and and is accessible so um, yeah I guess I guess that makes it certainly worth seeing for especially a crowd that maybe not doesn't frequent the art house all that much. Yeah. Yeah. It, <clears throat> I saw this film this year. This is one of my highest priority movies because so many people had it on their top 10. I mean, this is like, this is like the indie darling, so to speak, right? It's like the movie yeah. that's coming up and, and everyone loves now, now full transparency. Uh, Kelly Reichert is an entire blind spot to me. I never got around to Meek's Cutoff, really? Old Joy, Wendy and Lucy. I never got around wow. to any of them. Yeah, yeah. She, every year, because back then when those movies were coming out, I was doing the end of the year cram top 10 lists, and she yep. just never quite 
I just never got to the movie, and then I never mm. went back. And then once I missed like two or three of them, I was like, I'll just wait and do a marathon sometime. <laughs> yeah. And then and then yeah. I just kind of intentionally just like skipped them, knowing that eventually I would go back and just watch them. But because this one was so highly regarded, this was my first Kelly Reichert experience. So I don't know kind of where this fits in or, or how um, like solid Kelly Reichardt this is. Maybe you guys can tell me in a moment, but um, I got to be honest and I feel bad. I feel like Matthew, you and I have like gotten along great. We're like new best friends. This is going to be fantastic. Um, I not gonna like this. Are you? No, I, I really didn't uh, connect with this one. Unfortunately, I, I didn't dislike it. I was just so mm. neutral on it that like after I finished, I was kind of like, okay. And then I like moved on. I, 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 I'll tell you this though. Having said that, um, I'm trying to find the guy's name here. Uh, would, it, would it have been better if a Cronenberg directed it? Uh, <laughs> no, but if there if there was a if there was a chase scene where bullets went backwards and taunt. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, we we don't need to talk about Tenet. Uh, but anyways, yeah, right. Uh, I'm looking this up because I want to find the guy. I think I guess it's John Magaro. Yes, uh, that I loved that guy in this movie. Um, the the cook. And yeah, yeah. Um, like he was, I, I really loved his, I loved how when he would milk the cow, he would just talk so sweetly to the cat. Like they were like buddies. Um, like those moments I really, really did like the first hour of this. It's funny that I'm the guy that puts the painted bird on my list. <laughs> and I'm about to say I felt sluggish. Um, but oh, watching it, the wow. first hour of this felt, I just, it just wasn't connecting with me. But oh. I'll say this, the last half though, I, Basically, when Toby Jones came in, I actually really liked how they interacted with Toby Jones. It's not him exclusively, but I love that whole kind of, you know, mm -hmm. you have this uh, uh, Chinese immigrant who's kind of like this con man a bit. And then you have uh, the, the chef who just wants to, like, do his trade and make some cash. You know, like he has these dreams, these goals. And you have Toby Jones, who's just this, like, really rich business guy who has like a real house and not a shack and like painted walls and like, you know, sconces and paintings and uh, all of this stuff. I, I really, I started to be more down with it at that point, but I mean, I'm going to ask this question because I, I don't want to like denigrate the movie at all. Uh, I think because I'm open to just maybe not having connected with it. A lot of people love this movie. I encourage people as I do always, come up with your own opinion on it. Go check it out. But I want to pose a question to both of you, mostly you, Matthew. Um, is this, would you say, a good representation of Reichart? As in, like, if you see this, you get what she does. Yeah, I think you do. Um, because, you know, Wendy, it, it, the, the other part is when you do the pitch, you know, um, like Wendy and Lucy is looking for a looking for a missing dog, and Meek's cutoff is the trail. It's yeah. it's you know, and that's kind of what they are. And and this and the tone of those uh, the tone of this film are represented in those uh, in those other titles. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So I you mean, should, you should marathon. It. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, I'll watch anything. So I'm all about. <laughs> going in with no expectations for the most part. I mean, you can only do that so much, but I definitely want to check out Reichardt's work because Old Joy, when it came out, really appealed to me. I just never got to it. And if I'm not mistaken, Wendy and Lucy, Meeks Cutoff, and First Cow all have this kind of Pacific Northwest um, yeah. period piece, right? They're kind of a, a spiritual trilogy in a way. Um, right. And uh, so I want to watch those 
two kind of back to back so I can kind of have an opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of felt bad. And it's one of those things where when you don't like a movie, everyone loves, you start to feel like a fraud, <laughs> like, you know, like you're like some big fucking poser. That first cow uh-huh. did that to me where I watched it. And I was like, man, I'm like, I want to like this so much more than I do. Um, yeah. And there are moments that I, and, and parts of aspects of it I really like, but yeah, I just, for some reason I couldn't, I just couldn't get awesome. down. Awesome. It's all right. Joe, Joe and I, we, for years, we always had, we, I, we should have kept the list, but there's always the, uh, there's somebody in the IFJA that will champion one film that everybody else, you know, yeah. just, you look at them like they just took a dump <laughs> on the floor right. or vice versa. So yeah, it's okay. This is yours. Congratulations. I, I can I can say I can say because we love Lou Harry so much. Ramona and Beezus was was like the first one of those that that one of us Lou Harry just went on and on about how much he loved that film and and um and I don't know about anybody else, but I I you know watched it and I thought okay that was a perfectly fine call you know for um. You know, that was a per- perfectly fine film for, you know, pre-teen girls, but it didn't strike me as anything great. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, other, you know, but otherwise it wasn't great. But I'm I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I mean, it was, you know, I went back and looked. It's, I have it as number 47 on my list. So, you know, to, you know, certainly not, I guess it's the upper, what, quarter, but upper 25%. But um, I was, you know, it, it didn't blow me away the way it did other people by any means go see it <laughs> yeah darn it way to go a24 <laughs> yeah yeah so uh yeah that is uh that is your number three i believe that is and uh joe why don't you share your number three with us yeah my number three um and and we'll you know we'll talk about it and i'm um i, I think maybe this will be fun um to give uh, Matt his chance to talk about this because just because um, we devoted a whole long bit of bonus content to this film. Um, And uh, that film is uh, the documentary 76 days. So um, that that's my number three. Uh, So 76 days follows uh, uh, in inside of hospitals in, in Wuhan, China at the outset of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So this is the early days um, of, you know, of the outbreak before it, it got here and before Donald Trump told us not to worry about it. And then, you know, don't worry about wearing those masks. And then eh, some people like to, you know, what, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so so, what, uh, so basically this is a, um, a look inside of the hospitals. Um, you, the cameras are following nurses as they are going through the, the wards and treating patients and, um, there are are elderly people who are wandering around sick with the virus who don't really understand what's going on. They're not allowed to see their children or their families. Uh, there are there are pregnant women, uh, and and then and there's also to me most harrowing a large room of some sort at some at some undisclosed location in the hospital, which is essentially the queue to be treated, and um, it it is a um, a large group of people who are all sick with COVID, but unable to find beds. So they're essentially standing in a room. Um, It's just, it's a, it's a complete to me, a real life, just a nightmare to just to see the the seriousness and severity of what this is that we're dealing with, you know, in in an age where a lot of us 
who are more privileged, you know, can say things like, well, 99% of the people who get it don't die. And, you know, it's just the flu and blah, blah, blah. Watch this documentary and have your mind changed and see what the effects can be to people who are, um, who are suffering the, the worst effects of it. And, um, and also I would say, um, go back into our archives and take a look at our, our bonus content where we talk to um, the uh, epidemiologist Eileen White, um, who is uh, from Indiana here, and see the um, hear her thoughts on it. She has some amazing insights, and um, she has been uh, in many ways a, a victim of. Um, she had COVID herself and has had you know long term effects from it, and she also had a really interesting experience with her job that um, you know she resigned because of uh, the politics behind all this stuff. So. Um, but anyway, it, it all kind of just ties into the giant package that is the COVID pandemic that has just rocked the entire planet. And um, this is a very good illustration of, of um, the worst case of that. Yeah, the, the uh, bonus content that Joe's talking about, we also talked about in that uh, Totally Under Control, which was kind of the yeah. the whole reason we got together. Um, yeah. and, and it sounds to me, cause you talked about it then and you, I, th- I believe you did a film yap article with, uh-huh. with, uh, Eileen about 76 yeah. days. I actually haven't gotten around to seeing 76 days yet, but it is one yeah. that I knew was on your list that I needed to get to. And hopefully uh-huh. before our 2020 wrap, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be able to see it. But, um, but yeah, it seems like, you know, totally under control and 76 days are also going back to double features that maybe you don't want to watch because it's depressing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I, uh, you know, I'm always up for Bummerville. So uh, those <laughs> those two it. those two are uh, seem to be really good companion pieces if you want a good understanding of uh, COVID. And one more thing before I pass it to you, Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. it's I'm also blown away. We talked about this when we talked to Galen Ross. And mm-hmm. uh, like how do people make documentaries of this caliber in like five months, you know, what yeah. I mean? like, or what, like just so fast, totally under control mm-hmm. had stuff like a month prior to its release in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like re- they were cutting it so <clears throat> close, but they're trying to get it out before the uh, election mm-hmm. clearly. And uh, something like totally under control, 76 days. I mean, those mm-hmm. seem to have a lot of information. Eileen did talk about them and, Talked about yeah. how like factual and interesting they are. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm definitely before we get to our 2020 wrap, Joe. I'm gonna try mm-hmm. to get s- s- that in uh, 76 days so we can Absolutely. talk a bit more in depth about it if we want and and uh, and go that route. I'm gonna go mm-hmm. ahead if you don't mind and move on to my number three. Go for um, it. Uh, I maybe we'll see this again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, but my number three is uh, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Uh, uh-huh. which is uh, stars Francis McDormand and David Straithharn. Um, mm-hmm. Did I say that name right? <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Strathairn. Yeah, yeah, so Strath- 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 yeah, yeah Strathairn, whatever. Anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, just, well, just, so our, just so our, limi- uh, our, our listeners uh, know, Nomadland had limited release in December of 2020, but it releases wide on February 19th. Yours truly's birthday, and um, I, I I believe it will be available on Hulu that day. If I if my research okay. if I understood that, but uh, so y- you might not be able to see it yet. But we all had an opportunity uh, to see it uh, kind of ahead of time. Uh, definitely keep this, you know, in your mind once we get there. And Joe, maybe we'll do something uh, on the release of it. Maybe we can talk uh, more at length then. But um, you know, 
Nomad Land is is so powerful to me because again, going back to kind of quiet movies, uh, like there's a beautiful score to this to this film, but it, it is still not loud. It's not big. Everything is very much about human beings and just people living and their stories. And uh, it's it's a book that Frances McDormand optioned, um, or like she got the rights to. It was optioned, and they put Chloe Zhao. Uh, as the filmmaker, and basically they travel around and talk to real nomads. Um, a lot of this is unscripted. Some of it, of course, is scripted. But um, you know, so, I mean, when she talks to, uh, I'll, I'll just say this very vaguely: when she talks to the woman uh, who's about to take her last trip. Yeah. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You know, that scene is one that really captured my heart, and especially how they kind of play with that through the rest of the film and. Um, you know, I, I've, I've read some criticisms of Nomadland where they talk about, you know, Frances McDormand has a love interest, but it doesn't ever really get explained or go anywhere. That's just not the point of the movie. <laughs> um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, all it does is forces her to reckon with a past that she's ran away from. And that's the whole purpose, in my view, of uh, the love interest. So just to kind of address something that I've read pretty frequently um, yeah, it's just, it's not a love, it's not about a love story. It's, yeah, it's about, it's about this woman in 2011 after the, the kind of housing market crash and, um, her whole, you know, kind of factory town falls apart. And, uh, I believe if I remember correctly, uh, her husband was killed in, in that, uh, whole situation. And, uh, yeah, it's just basically her trying to live. So annually she goes to Amazon and works like their, their Christmas rush, you know, temp work and she'll, you know, just drive to another kind of nomad community and she'll work at some local, you know, uh, just like corner store or, or restaurant or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever the thing is. And, uh, you know, she just makes a living and keeps on moving and it's just being able to listen to real people talking talk about their lives and talk about things differently i love the confrontation she has uh with i believe her brother-in-law or or someone else that's in that room where they're kind of talking about essentially capitalism 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 and she's like i just want to live my life <laughs> you know and it's this it's this kind of battle between freedom and capitalism at times and man i i don't know i i kind of want to pass this for like a little round table talk about it um, but I could, could just cause I could go on and on about the things that I loved. It's also real quick, a beautiful film. Uh, there's yeah. a scene where Francis McDormand's walking through one of the communities. And this is what a lot of like the screenshots are from, you know, but, uh, she's just walking through and the camera seems to always have this sunset in the background. And there's this really subtle kind of like, but very kind of emotional, score behind it as she's walking you hear people talking in the distance and she's just kind of getting uh, getting familiar with this community that she just kind of came into and just that alone nothing's happening <laughs> you know she's just like figuring out who's here and and what's going on and where she can get some food and what you know all these things and bartering with people and i just found that so striking back to my love for uh like talkie movies and another thing is like i love movies about human beings and that's pretty much through and through what this is about. It's just like, you know, being human beings, being happy, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, you have a movie like, like Soul, for example, which tells us, you know, how to uh, 
or it tells us that we should love living life, right? And in a time of 2020, a lot of people have a hard time doing that. So it was like a very impactful thing. I feel like Nomadland's telling us something very similar as well. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I'm living a life. It might be an alternative lifestyle to what America has told us we should live, but I'm happy and I'm trying to find my truth. Matthew, what do you think of this movie? Well, uh, actually, I'd, I'm I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in a little bit, but um, I'm glad okay, that the film cool. is is rated this high on your on your list. Yeah, yeah, and you know who's not <laughs> our friend Joe. Say it ain't so, Joe. Fight me, Joe. Say it ain't so. Fight me, Joe. <laughs> yeah, the, this um. So I I rank this at number forty one on my list. Um, I I don't I don't know I don't know what I just I guess I didn't see what you guys saw. I love Francis McDormand. I love David Strathairn, especially I love him so much. The point is I don't I just I didn't get this movie the way um, so many other people did. I I appreciated it as a decent movie. Um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't. I didn't think of it at the whole time I was watching it. I never thought this is one of the, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 best movies I've seen this year. It was just another movie to me. Um, and it, yeah, it, it surprised me to see it get so much love. I thought um, my personal number one, I thought was far and away the best movie of the year, um, which, you know, I obviously won't give up quite yet, but um, I don't know this one. The, I just, I, I appreciated, but didn't love a whole lot about this movie. Um, and I just felt like it, you know, it went from one thing to another. And again, I appreciate what it was. I just thought what it was, wasn't the best thing in the world, but I'm probably in the minority on that. I'm pretty sure I am considering, you know, this was the IFJA's number one movie of the year. Um, it sounds like maybe it was somebody else's number one movie of the year on this, on this call or on this uh, podcast. So um so yeah um yeah i'll let somebody else talk um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know since i know that we're going to come back to nomadland i'm going to go ahead and uh and move forward like i said this comes out on my birthday february 19th and uh i believe it'll be on hulu um i know i can speak for matthew and i and uh -huh. say you should definitely check this out and i guarantee this is going to be an Oscar contender oh, of some sort, if I had to guess. I mean, this yeah. is a pretty easy prediction, I feel. Yeah. So definitely check out Nomadland. And hey, if you agree or disagree, let us know. And if you think Joe is completely fucked, then <laughs> um, That was my number three. I want to move on to Matthew's number two, man. What's your number two? All right. My number two is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I uh, love the fact that first off that Denzel Washington is committed to producing all of August Wilson's plays. He's already done that with fences. Mm -hmm. And we, we go into the story of, of course, singer Ma Rainey played by Viola Davis. Chadwick Boseman is in this Glenn Torman, really happy. Glenn Torman's getting some love. He's a career yes. that guy. And it's, it's about the a recording session between Ma Rainey and her band. The fact that there is, um, there's some conflict in the group as well as Ma and the group and the record and the record label and the recording studio. And I love this world, uh, obviously because I have a, a blues program on Saturday nights mm -hmm. and it, it captures that world 
beautifully and it's and it's only it's barely uh it's like 94 95 minutes so and this is probably a, a really easy stepping stone into the plays of august wilson i love fences fences was in my top five and mm -hmm. it, it but it is you know it is a bit of a haul it's about i think if i remember like two two hours 15 minutes uh -huh. um but the fact that the music and the performances, of course, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of award buzz for not just for Ms. Davis, but for Chadwick Boseman, especially being his mm -hmm. final performance. Yeah. Um, but I, I love this world. And this is one I this could have been as long as the painted bird and I would have been fine with, <laughs> with less less painted bird stuff happening. But yeah, uh, yeah. we don't need the bestiality yeah, I, here. Uh, but I will right. say this, though, with, with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, another mutual friend of ours actually left me a voicemail, and I would love to hear what they have to say about Ma Rainey's. Hey, this is Christopher Lloyd of the Film Yap and Wish TV, telling you what my favorite film of 2020 was. Uh, and it was a close call, but it was between Mank, which came in number two, and my number one was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Just a film I just loved so much, just color and music and social commentary, uh, fantastic performances, Chadwick Boseman and his final turn. This is part of the series of that Denzel Washington is producing of August Wilson play adaptations. And I think it's entirely possible that uh, his greatest impact on cinema may end up being behind the camera instead of front of it, if you can believe it. Thanks. So that was Christopher Lloyd, the other co-owner of, along with Joe, uh -huh. of the Film Yap. And, and uh, you know, your number two, Matthews, his number one. And uh, I'll just jump in real quick and say that uh, Ma Rainey is, it was my, it started as like my number five. Uh -huh. And then it moved to like my number six. Uh -huh. And then it went, it just started working out. It's my number 12. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. and, and the thing is, here's the thing. I, for some reason, because people love it so much and I love other movies more, it may, I for some reason have this desire to push back on it. <laughs> yeah. Even though I think Ma Rainey's is like really great. Uh -huh. Like I had... Like it, it comes back to the same thing I said with, uh, you know, like the 20th century or, you know, my number 14 is David Burns, American Utopia. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I just appreciate these other movies more. Yeah. Um, but man, Ma Rainey's is such a good time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, 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 and it, it also got me, um, I'm trying to remember her name. Once I learned who, I didn't know who Ma Rainey was. Uh -huh. So after that, I listened to the music and then I listened to Lucille Bogan, yeah. which was a, a contemporary and yep. she's wild. Okay. Oh yeah, there's, so, there's some funny <laughs> stuff that I can't play. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're talking like shit that will make uh, you know Cardi B blush. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, she gets pretty racy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but back to the movie though. I mean, she really opened me up to uh, you know other uh, musicians even of the time and listening to her music. But here's the thing: a lot of people are going to praise Chadwick Boseman. I want to be—I want to clarify this. I've never really been much of a Boseman fan. I don't—I don't really like him as Black Panther, and I—I uh, I thought Get On Up was good. Don't get me wrong, but it didn't like blow me away. I didn't think he was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. You know, shame on me apparently because he was. Uh -huh. Uh, but man, this made me like him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the monologues he has in this, yeah. I, I just don't really gravitate toward kind of, I don't know, the idiosyncrasies he has. Mm. Um, but man, they fit this character, Levy. Mm -hmm. uh, really great, but I have a fucking siren going by my house. <laughs> Anyways, um, but I'll tell you the person that blew my mind, though, because I feel like Chadwick Boseman, probably because it's a posthumous performance, yeah. uh, so to speak, you know, release, yeah. 
Um, but and, and also just because he's good in it. But nothing can touch Viola Davis here for me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, is anyone better than her? Oh it, it, she is so good when she's uh, two things. I'm going to gush, even though I was sitting here talking about I could just rip into it because uh, I have pushback. But I, this tells you I actually really do like it. Um, uh, and up until like two days ago is my number 10. So, <laughs> um, but anyways, it's uh, there's there's a scene where she is sitting with. Who's she sitting with? Uh, I think I think the band leader. Colin Domingo. The, yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And she's sitting with him. That conversation where she wants a Coke. Yeah. Like just that whole scene yeah. is really great. But I'll tell you the scene that I loved more than anything that like made me feel the way that Chris Lloyd felt mm. and a lot of people felt where this kind of seemed I hate using this phrasing personally, but it kind of like elevated me in a time like 2020 where sure. It was hard to elevate me. Is mm-hmm. is when they finally get Ma Rainey's nephew to get the line out. Yeah. Yes. And they all unexpectedly almost fumble over themselves because they didn't think they were going to keep going, but they get into it. Yeah. Personally, in terms of writing, I do wish that they had maybe waited to make it a downer uh, mm-hmm. a little later because, uh, like, immediately afterwards, they didn't get the yeah. the the shot, you know, or like the the clip. Yeah. But man, what a what a freaking awesome scene! Yeah, you know what I mean. Like just just how they're all playing. It's like the first time in the movie where everyone seems to kind of be on the same page, and mm-hmm. just the way the camera floats between each character. Uh, really great choice, uh, Joe. I'm pretty sure that we're gonna talk about this some more. But you want to say something now, or yeah, well, you want to yeah, say something was, later? You know, I was gonna say. Uh, you guys torpedo are torpedoing my my uh, the end of my list. So. Why the hell not? Let's just let's blow it up. Uh, Mal Rainey's Black Bottom is my number one. Uh, yeah, we, we've talked about my number two already. We're talking about my number one now. Uh, yeah, Viola Davis, my god, was a force of nature in this movie. Yeah, and I don't know if she put on a little bit of weight or if she was wearing a suit or you know, or what it was, but she was physically bigger than most everybody else in the movie. And she was certainly in in character bigger than everybody else in this movie, and she dominated every scene that she was in. Yeah, yeah. The that scene with the coke is you know when I when I'm talking to people about and I've talked to quite a few people about this movie actually recently. That that's the scene that always pops into my head is that she has these are you know these are are black people who are dealing with white um, a white music label. And um, the, you know, the, in, in your mind in the 1930s, this is going to be like the black people are going to be subservient to the white people, but Ma Rainey knows what she has and she understands the power that she holds and she holds it right in front of everybody and, you know, man or woman, white or black. And she's like, I'm not going to do shit unless you give me what I want. A Coke. And that yeah. <laughs> was, was the best where they're like, yeah, we'll get it. Let's just go ahead and start. And she's like, uh-uh, we're not doing anything. So I got a Coke in my hand. And uh, Yeah, and go ahead. Go ahead. Actually, I, Matthew, go ahead. I think, well, Viola Davis has become the per. She's, I mean, she's in that illustrious group. She's always great, even if the yes, material always. is not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we you don't, and you, you have to maybe go back to the early work, but 
Uh, but even then, you don't even somebody like Suicide Squad. She's one of the best things about Suicide Squad, and yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely dominates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Chadwick Boseman, um, yeah, I watched him, and I thought, I thought, man, he's a slam dunk to win. You know, the uh, uh, best actor this year for this. I, I don't know if he still is, but I, you know, it certainly as I mean, you know, you say, well, it's a sentimental favorite because he, you know he passed away. And, you know, and he, and he was loved by so many people, you know, in this short time that he was, you know, in the spotlight. But man, yeah, that the the scene where he is, um, you know, he's so like happy go lucky most of the time and and they're giving each other a bunch of shit the whole the whole movie. And then suddenly somebody talks about how subservient he is to, to the white. Yep. And and he just turns on a dime and absolutely snaps. And it was such a perfect moment. Um it, it it immediately just showed, you know, like that's his character, like that right there, there it is. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you know, later on, he has some, um, he and Viola Davis have some great scenes together. Um, Coleman Domingo, you know, who you talked about earlier is the guy that, that I, I really, when I saw him, I was like, yes. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I love it. I, I started, um, I had never heard of him until I saw him in um, Fear of the Walking Dead, which is not a great show, but he's terrific in it. And um, yeah, and I saw him here and I thought, wow, that is, you know, that's great casting. I love him. And, uh, and he's, and he's probably right with them. And, um, you know, you, in that scene, you mentioned Austin about when, uh, when Ma is talking to him, it's like, they're the mom and dad of the, of the band. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was such just a good scene and everybody has these, it goes from these moments of they're a team, you know, these, these people are on the same page and now they're arguing with each other about something else. And it's like, it, it all rotates around between the band members at different times of the movie. And um, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's what I loved about it so much that, you know, I, I touched briefly on the, the racial aspect of it. And, and I think that's what I liked about it so much was the way it was able to, to turn all of that on its head and, you know, and kind of create this, it's not, not quite an alternate reality, but um, it, it sure feels that way. You know, for for that time period. So, um, yeah, I I love this movie. I can't, you know, express enough how much I liked about it. And yes, Glenn Turman, um, way back since Gremlins for me. Has really, been, for me, it was a uh, Cooley High <laughs> yeah. and JD's Revenge. That's another <laughs> that's another favorite of Abdul Kim Shabazz and myself. And he also uh-huh. did a Birdman film. He was in uh, um, the Serpent's Egg. Wow, uh, really? Yeah, he's got a scene in. In a bordello in a in an Ingmar Bergman film. So yeah, it's um well it's around a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh that's no, the Caradine one, right? This was just a of a great film to watch, and I can't wait to see the others. And and as as I said before, this one's probably a little easier to step into because some of Wilson's work, there's a supernatural aspect about it that's brought up during the storm scenes and fate and uh, fences. Um, but no, I, I think this one is just right, right for the picking as far as if you're going to jump into the works of August Wilson, uh, do so. Yeah. One, one more thing yeah. about, um, Glenn Turman dude was in the nine lives of Fritz, the cat as a voice. Oh my gosh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. There you go. <laughs> 
Nice Agnar. Oh my Good gosh. title. Good title. You know, uh, I, I want to ask you one more thing. I, I don't want to go. I mean, we're technically covering uh, Matthew's number two and Joe's number yeah. one here. Um, and, and this is certainly an honorable mention. Uh, I'm 100% on board that this is a solid movie. 100%. Sure. Um, but there, I, I did have, I did have, I guess the thing that kind of kept this from being higher on my list and being properly on it. And this, this could just be me. I, I'm sincerely asking you guys though. Um, you're a racist. I, I, <laughs> no, the only answer, the only no, I already caught hell for that saying that once on a show. So it's all right. <laughs> no, you're not going to catch it here, but the, 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 uh, I just feel like the, the ending just does not uh, sit as well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, and I don't want to, it's very difficult to talk about without ruining anything. So I'm trying to kind of speak broadly since you guys know, yeah. but it was just one of those moments where I'm watching these people, you know, you have this struggle between Ma Rainey and Levy mm-hmm. and it's very real. It's very, you know, they're really dealing with something that even a lot of the popular music industry deals with today where, you know, the, these, these producers and this label, they're worried about Ma Rainey because she's, a, she will not move forward. Yeah. Right. She wants to keep doing what she does. Right. And the white people also want to hear this music and they want to hear this moving forward stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have this record label of white people trying to turn black people's music into white people's music mm-hmm. at this time. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, what do you, what do we think hip hop does now? <laughs> like, right. you know, like, and things like that, where mm-hmm. it's like, we got to make sure we hit like the, these, this huge white majority or whatever. Right. right? Um, and so I, I love all of those things. And I, I, like I said, I mean, you, the Coke scene and, and the nephew getting it, I mean, those are just, I mean, did anything feel better when the nephew finally got it? Just oh, but everyone, just everyone being so joyous and yeah. having so much fun and being so carefree. Absolutely excellent. And I love that this is on Netflix. So mm-hmm. anyone who has it can just like get into it. But the end yeah. still felt like kind of this weird, uh, I didn't, it didn't even feel like Levy to me. Yeah. Like uh, it felt like a little forced for me to a po- to the extent that it actually bothered me. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what kept it from being like this certain level of greatness. Cause it certainly up to that point is, mm-hmm. and I'm not one to let just the last, however many minutes ruin a whole movie. I mean, this right. movie is really awesome, yeah. but uh, did you guys have any kind of, uh, hangups on the end or were you guys just kind of on board? I was, and... I was on board. Yeah. I was on board. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, without trying to say, well, when they bring in Joe Bonamassa to play, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, like in with trying, and of course I'll try to speak vaguely in terms of not spoiling the movie, but it, it kind of, it kind of shows in, in that context that white people are still in charge. Yep. It's like it, it. Sure. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't make a difference. You know, you even. You know, she she gets hers. You know, and and you know, and, and people get their own. But yeah, in the end, it's like there's still. This is what happened. And yeah. it's you know. it's almost a it's almost like a like a a, a twist on what like uh, the play on words that would happen in something like bedazzled. Yeah. Where okay, here's your wish, but this. You wish right. specifically for this, and now you have it. But yeah, now are, are, are we talking about the same thing where where he has a confrontation? I should say with another one of the with the pianist. Can I just say it? Well, there's that, that vaguely. I, I was well. I'm I'm speaking more in terms of the ultimate final outcome at the sure. End. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that, and that I was referring to what I just alluded yeah, that, to because right, I agree right, right. with you on your point. That your part point. is is to me as a it hit me as being like, okay, this is a play. And like, that's a, that's more a convention. It, that moment does kind of come out of nowhere a little bit, 
but it's very much a convention of of plays from you know, sure I've seen I think and and that that's how I took it and, and, and Matt you temperamental probably, musicians yeah yeah say say oh temperamental musicians yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, Man, I think, I, I wish, th- I wish so much that this was a video podcast just so you could see his face when he said, <laughs> and you have no idea how priceless the look on your face was just now. <laughs> um, well, no, it, it really just comes down to like, I love theater. And what's funny is when you're in that moment and the way that theater plays and how you're kind of in this moment with them and it's a very live moment and you're very much in the, in the, in kind of the stink of things, so to speak, you know, I, I feel like maybe it would land with me more. With film, I tend to... This goes with comic book movies and, mm-hmm. and people wanting them to be the comic book. Yeah. And for me, it's like, this is a different medium. Like, mm-hmm. embrace the medium and make something awesome. I don't care if it changes, as long as it's good. Right. Like, that's that's all I care about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was a little hang-up that I had. Again, I, I, I really, really did like uh, My Rainey's Black Bottom, and I encourage everyone to go check it out. Mm-hmm. That was, like I said, an honorable mention for me, for sure, and I'm glad that... Uh, that we definitely all like that. So uh, just to recap here, uh, that was Matthew's number two. Yep. Um, and Joe, I know we already talked about your number two, but why don't you let us know what that is now? Yeah, yeah. My, my number two was um, Uncle Frank, which, you know, like we says, we talked about it a lot earlier. Um, yeah, just a, just to me, a, an odd kind of almost like comfort food for as, as a movie. Um just to kind of, you know, just kind of wrap that up. Um, yeah. it's, and it's odd to call a movie like this a comfort food movie, but it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's a, yes, it's, it's wrapped up maybe in a little more cleanly in a more of a clean bow, um, than, you know, the, the real life problem surrounding that is, but that, you know, that's, that's what makes it the comfort food is that, you know, well, I, I think also, you know, when I think of it too, I think of with Uncle Frank, I mean, it hits all of the emotions, not unlike something like a Ma Rainey's yeah. or uh, anything like that, where it's like there are happy moments, there are sad moments, there are intense moments, you know, like it hits kind of all of these things in such yeah. a genuine, or at least I, I, well, I won't even say genuine because sometimes, like I said, I, it might feel... Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're a little hyperbolic or a little of this, but yeah. it just worked for me, man. Yeah. And, and, and I'm with you that the comfort food things make sense to me, um, because it does kind of deliver, yeah. uh, on all of those levels. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, your number two yep. is uncle Frank, Matthew, you watched that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. and so, <laughs> uh, my number two, we've actually already talked about as well. Uh, oh. my number two is, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's possessor. Okay. Um, wow. big fan. And, uh, yeah, I, dude, this one, it's crazy. Cause this is when I started this huge cram, right? This is one of the first movies I watched. Ooh. So it's kind of crazy that I didn't over time lose in a, like my affection for it because you just see these really good ones. Mm-hmm. And I got to stress this too. Most of the movies I feel like I watched were like four out of fives for me. Like I really liked a lot of movies. Yeah. They might not be on my list, but most of the ones you guys have mentioned, a lot of others that we'll talk about on our 2020 wrap. Uh-huh. I mean, this like I loved a lot of movies. Unfortunately, not a lot of movies went above a four out of five for me. But like the ones that did are on this list, and and Possessor is is a solid like four and a half out of five for me uh, personally. I, I really really. Uh, I just, man, this, this is just an Austin movie. 
Like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, there's just, there's just, I mean, the level of violence and, and the shock behind it, like, it, when done in the right context, and I would consider this the right context, as well as his father's movies and, mm-hmm. and uh, many others, I mean, I, that just for... I'm not one for violence, violence for violence sake, but man, when you're talking about an assassin, a corporate assassin, right. yes. you know, I can't think of a better time to have that kind of extreme and kind of gut-wrenching violence. All those shots whenever she's like going into people's heads, I love all like the melting wax figures or whatever that shit is, man. That gets me going. Like that's my um, you know, that's I don't even know, dude. It's <laughs> So, so good. And, and and so this movie really impressed me. And and it's a solid number two pick for me. It's not just like, man, I thought this was really cool and unique for this year. Sure. Yeah. No, this is like just my kind of movie, you know. Um, and and, and um, I've seen I, the, what makes me sad is I've seen this on people's honorable mentions, but I can't think off the top of my head anyone else that's put this in their top 10, which after I formed this, I learned that. And I was actually very surprised I don't know why I was surprised. I also understand that there are a lot of fucking good movies this year. Yeah. And I could see why people would really like, I think most people would probably choose something like a Ma Rainey's black bottom over like possessor, you know, like I totally get that. Um, but man, this is, this is very much an Austin movie. I know we already talked about it, so we can move on, but um, Brandon Cronenberg's possessor, that that's, that's my jam. You can check that out on, uh, VOD, you can find it, you know, Amazon, you have to rent it. I don't think it's free on there, but I, I would encourage you strongly pay the three ninety nine, watch the movie. It's a good, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good time. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew moving to you, man. Number one, what's your choice? My number one is Nomadland. And, uh, yeah. that's right. Fuck you, that's- Joe. Hey, screw that movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you screw that movie, man. Um, <laughs> They don't tell so, me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, the film that Chloe uh, Zhao did before this was a wonderful film called The Rider. Yeah, I never saw that. It's, by the way. it's yeah. kind of a, it's like a rodeo version of the wrestler, in a way. Okay. Because nice. Yeah, because it's this bull rider who's injured. He's he's got to stop doing it, but he lives in a. He lives in a rodeo town in South Dakota and there's nothing else for him to do. I mean, you work at the grocery store or drugstore or get back on and ride. And and so in that one, it's all non-actors. And so the fact that yeah. she takes that world and that's South Dakota. This is, of course, the, 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 the Southwest for the most part. Um, she's able to take that same concept of non-actors and then throw two heavyweights with Francis and David, and and it's seamless. I thought, um, yeah, they bounce off each other beautifully with everyone. It's it's such a it, you know we've talked about environments and worlds, whether it's small acts or Ma, Ma Rainey, and I was just enthralled with this world. And Francis is just great and so good. I love her, and I mean they're they're it could be a three timer. She could be a three Peter at, at a fairly young age for, for an artist. So, yeah. Um, and, and as I alluded to earlier, the fact that I kept thinking about this film, especially with COVID, where are these people now? We know this film yeah. was shot before that, but what, what is happening to the nomads now? I still think about that. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So I was, yeah, I was really, really wonderfully drawn into this world and and just enjoyed the hell out of myself watching them. I it's one of those like, I, I was like, I don't know if I could do it. You know, we it's be you know living in your van or living in your car and then going from regional job to regional job. Um, you know, some people can do that and. Uh, you know, I think the point of film is that we were able to dive into a world other than our own. We do that with books. We do that with plays as well. But uh, yeah, I never thought I would enjoy such a deep dive into this world. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say one more thing about about this movie um, is uh, it is really difficult to work with non-actors if they're properly non-actor. And the the fact that she can pull off such incredible moments with these people, of course, these people clearly are, you know, they seem pretty extroverted and right. open to talking to people. And I'm pretty sure if I if I remember this correctly, that Frances McDormand was like hanging out with these people mm-hmm. for some time prior to the filming of this. So they already kind of had a rapport yeah. um, and all of that. But man, that, that's it's it really is impressive. And um yeah, I mean, again, my number three. I, I really love this movie, and uh, Joe sucks. Anyways, um, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, so um, again, just to recap here, Matthew, yours, your number one's Nomadland. Right. Joe, yours is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. My number one, uh, possibly to Joe's dismay, because we've talked about this on the show. Oh boy, <laughs> is the final documentary. Uh, of the entire episode, Dick Johnson is dead by mm-hmm. Kirsten Johnson. Wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah, th- this movie uh, has, this was, okay, so I had seen, I'm trying to think of which movie it was that I saw prior to this. Um, there there was some movie, oh, uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things, was probably the first film from 2020 that even had a chance of me liking it to some extent. And that was in like the summer. And then I saw Dick Johnson is dead because I listened to an episode of film spotting when they were talking about Dick Johnson is dead. Um, and it sounded so interesting to me. So we were, we were doing this is like our third episode of this podcast or something when I was talking about this and I was only watching horror movies at the time because we were doing in October, we were doing our horror uh, films list and uh, yeah, I just decided to take a break from horror, and I put uh, Dick Johnson is Dead in uh, to this day. Uh, it's still kind of a horror movie, I guess, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, dude, uh, to this day, I still love it, and even prepping for this episode, or these episodes, um, I even listened to the film spotting uh, review of the movie again, just to kind of remind myself, because I did watch this back in October, right? And I've seen so many movies since then from 2020. I just wanted to recap Mm -hmm. and just like getting emotional at work. Like I'm listening to the podcast and I'm just like getting emotions all built up in my chest. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't talk highly enough about this. And, you know, Kirsten Johnson did camera person, which was put out by criterion, uh, collection. I hope they put out Dick Johnson is dead. We'll see. Um, but really, the only two people that kind of star in this are, are, are Dick and Kirsten Johnson. Uh, Dick Johnson is Kirsten's father, the filmmaker. And um, basically, she seeks a way to keep her 86-year-old father alive forever. And utilizing movie-making magic and uh, her family's dark humor, she celebrates Dr. Dick Johnson's last years by staging fantasies of death and beyond. 
Uh, together, da- uh, dad and daughter confront the great inevitability awaiting us all. And it's really a film uh, about death, about living, about coping with... Um, I mean, uh, the coping aspect really ties perfectly into Kirsten's uh, mother had dementia, and uh, Dick and Kirsten had to take care of her, and they watched how far that went and how uh, kind of dark those trails became. And now the husband, the the widow, the widower, right, uh, becomes, like, he finds out he has the same, the same situation, and they know what's expected. And so the film turns into this thing where, of course, you know, there are these kind of funny moments where Kirsten is, like, creating these fictional... Um, death sequences basically of her father that are really gruesome and excuse me, really ridiculous. Um, But it's in between all of that, you get these really, really pivotal moments. Uh, One example is uh, whenever, and you've both seen this, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, So, you know, when, when uh, I know you've seen this joke, cause I made you watch it, but (laughs) I made you finish that. that But (laughs) Yeah, but anyways, uh, Dick Johnson is dead. Or sorry, Dick Johnson uh, is about to move to New York to be with his with his uh, with his daughter. So he's moving cross country, and uh, because he can't take care of him, he's going to get to a point at least where he can't take care of himself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, just one example, and there are many of these, but one really pivotal example is whenever he realizes he can't drive. Mm-hmm. They've sold his car. Um, he's not allowed to drive any car, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, you know, he's basically kind of pleading subtly with her. Well, not so subtly, but probably in his mind, like he's not saying, let me drive Kirsten, but he's just kind of like, well, I mean, we're going to be here for a couple more days. I can drive around here. I'm not too old. I'm not too gone, you know, to be able to do this, but she's very firm about like, dad, you can't like, you can't do that. And th- it just gets to a point where he just says, Okay. You know, and you see him tear up, and he starts to kind of break down. It's those moments give me life. I, I, they're so sad, but I mean, man, they they like speak to my heart. These these truths. Um, there's also a lot of like truth and interesting um, kind of notes to a lot of these kind of dream sequences, almost, or these these post life sequences where you know Dick Dick Johnson is uh, known for having these deformed feet or at least one of them, his toes are are not fully formed on one foot. And he's been completely uh, like embarrassed of this his whole life. And there's a moment where in one of these post-life sequences that they film, these fictional post-life sequences, he's sitting there with Jesus and Jesus takes his foot, which is like, you know, deformed. And then he washes it. And there are a couple of cuts back and forth between Dick Johnson and Jesus. And it cuts back and his foot is reformed. Right. And it's, it's like, it's just a quote unquote normal foot. Um, this speaks so much to the film too, because it's, you know, it's about, uh, reformation and, and, um, you know, being whole again. And, you know, Dick Johnson is losing quote unquote, his wholeness, right? He's losing what makes him him. And it's about, you know, finding that and holding on to that and coping with this inevitable death. Now, when the film was released, Dick Johnson was still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if you guys saw uh, the um, Roger Ebert doc that Steve James did a few years back. Mm-hmm. I'm spacing the name right now Life for itself. some reason, but Life Itself, Life itself that was, that which was I think is a masterpiece. Film that year. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it was in my top five. It might have been like three years. I mean, what a five-star doc for me. I mean, what a great... But what I love about that is the juxtaposition of Roger Ebert growing up as this, you know, uh, skyrocketing film critic juxtaposed with him in the hospital not being able to speak, you know, not being able to do as much work as he wanted to. Mm -hmm. This film made me feel the same way. Um, Actually, this film was the only five-star movie I had the whole year, uh, if you can believe it. Um, And uh, because it did something similar, instead of juxtaposing back and forth the way that life itself does, it kind of does it a bit more chronologically, because halfway through the film, it jumps forward a year, Mm -hmm. and you see that Dick Johnson's still there, but he has progressed and you can, and it just kind of like foreshadows like this is where it goes. And they deal, you know, they deal with, with loss through having like this uh, fictional funeral that his friends have actually like very kind of raw and, and strong reactions to. Uh, They actively discuss uh, his wife, her mother and, like what they can expect. Dick Johnson was a, was a psychiatrist or psychologist. One of the two, I think psychiatrist, he never like, he never shies away from it. He knows what's going to happen. And their honesty is something that, you know, my dad and I have talked a lot about because my dad's biggest fear is having dementia and losing his mind. Like, uh, you know what I mean by that? Like not being able to think clearly and for himself and not be able to recognize me or my brothers. That's his biggest fear. So also, you know, I made my dad watch this too, because not to scare him, but he was interested. He wanted to. So just, (laughs) I feel like that sounded really sadistic for a second, but I mean, like I told him about it and he's like, I want to see this. This is like, I want, I want that truth. I want to know what that looks like. I want to know how people deal with this. Mm -hmm. And, um, Every time I think of Dick Johnson is dead, it makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. I think it's an, an incredibly powerful film f- for me personally. Um, I have no real direct experience with people with dementia, but for me as well, you know, my whole family is mostly a, a series of people that picked up a trade or they're pastors. <laughs> like those are the like the two the two things, right? Yeah. Uh, like my dad is an incredible like construction HVAC, like all all that stuff. He's super good at his trade, mm-hmm. and he has a good reputation for that. I am a thinker, mm-hmm. so I didn't learn any of that shit. I call my dad; yeah. <laughs> he fixes everything, and then I think for him, right? You know, right. <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm I'm the thinker of the family. I'm the guy that got the master's degree. I'm the guy that did this. Watching not only Kirsten go through this with her father, but thinking of me eventually. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, who's nine right now, but thinking of her being in Kirsten's perspective and me not being able to think, mm-hmm. which is what I do. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say, guys. Uh, th- this is uh, this was like leaps and bounds my number one. This wasn't just barely. Like yeah. This was a clear front runner and has been my number one since I watched it. Um, which at that time didn't matter because I think I'd seen like nine movies or something. <laughs> you know, I didn't even have a top ten, but uh, it has yeah. <laughs> from the beginning stayed with me. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts. I know that you guys aren't going to be as hot on it as I am, but mm-hmm. I'm curious, like what you guys might have gotten out of this, and uh, just any thoughts, Matthew. Well, it's God talk about timing. Um, my father-in-law passed away on Friday morning this past, well, at the time of this recording a week ago, Friday, and he, he had Alzheimer's and, and then other things kind of added on to it. But so I've actually got to witness this, the, the moment when he wasn't able to drive and the moment when he had to, so it's, yeah, it, it hits hard. 
It really does. I mean, and and this film, um, it's probably in my top ten as far as documentaries. Um, yeah, it's you know, I guess if I were to do a list as long as Joe's, it would be probably right. in my. <laughs> In my 20s. It's funny, as you were describing it, I'm like, it's like if Charlie Kaufman wrote Harold and Maude, um, (laughs) in a way. But, but, and so I, and, but now that this has happened, it's funny because my wife had heard about the film and she's like, um, do I need to watch this? And I said, I don't know if you're ready for it right now. And now that he's gone, is it, I'm probably going to have to wait a while before I, I want to revisit it. I I do remember. The film away from her which was i think my top film that year with uh, julie oh, christie yeah. going through all yeah it's 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 terrifying it's absolutely terrifying so um so yeah i i, I think it's i'm hoping and that, that was one of those documentaries that got, i think got a wider audience because of streaming um i think it would be, yeah it, i think it would be really hard when you pitch that story and then say all right let's go to landmark and go see it i mean that's mm-hmm. that's it's it's not a jaunty trip, yeah, so sure. so I think. That, yeah. But that's a great example of a film I think that benefited from mm-hmm. from it being viewed uh, streaming more. So uh, yeah. So yeah, and congratulations on the choice. Yeah. <laughs> Before I get to you, Joe, though, I do want to say uh, I do I totally agree with you. I think a lot of these docs. I mean, we've had such a great year in general, but I'm kind of so glad that a lot of the I'm not glad. I don't know how to talk about it really, but we had so many tentpole projects moved to next year, later next year, or even 2022. You know, we had like a lot of stuff pushed back, a lot of stuff either canceled or whatever. And it seems to have just given like a part of me wonders would, would something like uh, never rarely sometimes always have gotten as much if there had been all of these other movies coming out, um, maybe critically, but you know, like a lot of these movies, I feel like have a better shot at getting seen. And this is on Netflix for anybody who wants to see uh, Dick Johnson is dead. Yeah. Um, again, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, you know, I mean, it ultimately, you know, uh, amounts to that. But there are like lighthearted moments. There's nothing more contagious than Dick Johnson's laugh. Yep. I mean, what what the most genuine, goofy, but like you know, just completely heartwarming laughter that he after everything he says. You know, um, what were you going to say, Matthew? Well, it's, I'm a fan of dark comedy and I, 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 I mentioned the film earlier, but, but Harold and Maude was the first dark comedy I ever experienced. And it was also the first, it was the first Betamax tape my father ever bought. And so, <laughs> awesome. yeah, who knew? But, uh, but to, to go at what you're saying, there funny things are said at times of tragedy. There is a lot of laughter through tears. And I think Dick Johnson said is a great example of that is, you know, on paper that, that the, the average suburbanite might not latch on to that, but there's also a core group of, yeah, let's see this. And, and, and yeah. because that's, uh, that's how a, a certain faction of people cope. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, um, if if I'm ever in that situation, God forbid I am, but if I'm ever in that situation, I want my daughter to talk to me the same way, uh, you know, that that Kirsten talks to her dad. It seems I think at times it seems like rash, like like uh, blunt or like kind of almost mean because she's very much like very blunt with him about what he can and can't do. Yeah. But this is what they agreed on from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like what they wanted it to be is we have to be truthful and we have to like 
the only way we can cope with this is if we take it head on. You know, we we understand what we're going through and and we live. And and I want nothing more than to 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 have that. If again, I hope this never happens. But you know, if that were to happen to me, that's like it's like I would want my daughter to see this. So it's like talk to me that way. I want to know what's going on. I don't want you to sugarcoat anything. Tell me, and I'm probably going to get stubborn, mm-hmm. and I'm probably going to tell you no because that's just how me and my dad are. You know, like you know, if I want to do something, you're telling me no, and I don't understand why I can't. I'm probably going to buck against that. But um. It's just really powerful. Uh, Matthew. Uh, you, your daughter's nine? Yeah. What's the darkest shit you've made her watch so far? Oh, man. I mean, it, she's, she's very easily scared. No, I've done it with Joe. No, no, no. This is great. Yeah. This is great. Uh, you know, she's she's she watched stuff like... Um, I'm trying to think of, like, movies that she's watched that aren't, like, kids' movies. She watched a lot of... Um, like she watched Gremlins with us, which for her is pretty dark. Yeah, that's. Um, she watched. Uh, she's watched all the Back to the Futures, which I wouldn't necessarily say is dark, but it's like, you know, not kids movies per se. Um, I don't know what the darkest movie would be. Probably Gremlins, if I had to guess. We were trying to get her into like bad. That's not bad. Some light horror movies, you know what I mean? Because she's like like completely repelled from ever feeling anything other than happiness. So I'm trying to break her. So that she can be into bum, bummer shit, you know? Bummer. Um, yeah, dad's bummer films. <laughs> hey, yeah, c- come watch Painted Bird with me. Um, yeah, just like, I just I just want her to, like, watch the wood chipper scene from Fargo over and over. Or, like, you know, just something that will help, like, desensitize her so she can get used to it. Hello. Um, yeah. Audition. But, yeah. Well, I, I wanna I wanna jump back real quick, sure. uh, Joe. I, I know again. I know you're not as as big on this, but I also know that you don't like hate this movie. Can can you yeah. give me your experience with Dick Johnson and maybe uh, why or why not? You know, yeah, yeah, uh, I, you have you know, the feelings you do. You know, I was sitting there and I was like, I was watching you talk about this movie, and you know, and, and you're talking about like, well, you know, you're close to getting emotional, like, and I could see it too in your face, and I was like. I don't have anything negative to say about this movie right now. I was, um, you know, I was, again, I think this is, you know, the same phenomena in my mind that this wasn't about COVID. This wasn't about um, our idiot former United States president. Um, you're saying that this is Nomadland part two. Is right, that what you're uh, saying? Yeah, well, th- that's what I'm saying. The, the reason why it didn't resonate with me as much as I, you know, as much as it has for other people probably has something to do with that. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of really strong documentaries that I loved this year. And this one, for whatever reason, wasn't, when I saw the preview for it, I saw the trailer for it and I thought, I thought that's a really cool idea. And then I watched it and somehow it was different and it just didn't catch for me. And I, I, the only conclusion I can make is that it was me. You know, like it wasn't what I. Oh, of course. And, yeah, and I, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna. That's where I'm gonna go with it. That's all I'm gonna say about it. I think is that it wasn't. You know, I I think I watched it in a in a different place than I could have been, and I did not. It didn't hit me the way that that it could have. Now I, you know, you guys t- talked about some of your experiences or or lack thereof with dementia. My grandmother had dementia. Um, you know, she was in her 90s and in her late 80s, and she, you know. Uh, you know, I remember she always recognized me, but I reintroduced her to my kids every time I saw her, you know. So, Joe, you, you sounded like me with the painted bird. Right. 
No, seriously, because that you know the streak of films that I had watched setting up and then going and mm-hmm. and enduring that. I mean, that's that's a timing. I mean, it's yeah. my, my problem, but we yeah. we've all had examples of that. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and and there's been yeah, and there's so many. This and it's happened. You know, I mean, I've been doing this since 2004, and you know, Matt, I know you you've been doing it longer, but you know, there's that time where <laughs> where <laughs> where you're in a glut, you're in the middle of a glut of movies. And, and you know, Austin, you experienced it at least this year, I'm sure. And you start watching a movie and you're like, okay, how long is this movie? You know, <laughs> two hours, 20 minutes. Like, this is and now you're, and now your attitude is, is like screwed, right? Because you're like, I got four more of these to watch. And it, that becomes about you and not about the movie anymore. Yeah. So... I, you know, that, that happens, not that this movie is excessively long because it's not, but it's, uh, I, I think in the middle of it, the subject matter, once it started going and I was just like, eh, you know, I kind of want to see, you know, something about, you know, you know, I've mentioned 76 days or totally under control or, um, all in, you know, there's all these other movies, all these other documentaries that are about things that I'm thinking about every day. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, and I've, we've, I've even been talking, like, there's going to be some damn good documentaries made about the year 2020, you know, about all the things that have happened. And so that's the stuff that's going through my mind. And so something like this, I watch it, and I'm just like, eh, I'm not paying attention to it, you know. Well, I don't, I don't know, yeah. because those those documentaries about 2020, they might just uh, float away like a miracle. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> They'll be gone by well, Easter. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. you know. Well, definitely well, after what, November third, they'll they'll all. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I th- I feel like because uh, I I feel kind of the opposite, Joe. And this might be actually where we where we kind of diverge. Because mm-hmm. one, Dick Johnson is dead is very much an Austin movie as well. Because sure. what is it? It's about people, uh-huh. right? It's about these human. It's about like probably the most human thing on my list, which is about like people dying and coping with mm-hmm. death, and and in this case, like preceding mm-hmm. that death. Um, and trying to learn. And so it's yeah. very, very much an Austin movie. I, I, I get that. Um, but also, like, my fear is movies like Totally Under Control, and I haven't seen 78 Days, so I can't I can't speak to that. But um, is it 76 Days 76 or 78? Days. Yeah. 76, sorry. I thought I was wrong there. That's um, but, yeah. 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 Uh, but, you know, uh, something like Totally Under Control, I loved. And we talked about this on, mm-hmm. on, on the uh, bonus content yeah. and earlier. But um, like that's a movie where it's very informative mm-hmm. and it's going to in his, I wonder if when we look back 10, 15, 20 years, will it be a great documentary or will it just be very informative of this right. time? Is it going to last the test of time yeah. or is it so in the now, mm-hmm. which makes it just as important right now? But yeah. is it an in the now moment mm-hmm. uh, that makes it so good? Uh, and and I, I tend to go lean toward the latter, but oh, I could be wrong. No, I, uh, I agree. But Dick Johnson is dead. Th- th- those are the movies, or like the documentary Crumb, which is another one of my all-time favorites. Or, yeah. you know, like like these these types of docs are the ones that really last the test of time for me mm-hmm. and feel almost timeless despite maybe some of the, the decor or the way people dress or like whatever the thing is. Yeah. Um, this is just a movie I think will we'll never stop 
sitting with me the way that it does. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So anyways, that's that's my number one. Dick Johnson is dead. Um, well, I want to do one last thing before we finish up. I mean, we've been talking for a long time, and Matthew, I cannot express how thankful I am that you've taken this time and been really cool to help us do this. Joe, same thing. My pleasure. Um, but you always do it, Joe. So, you that's know, right. we're, we're on the same team. But Matthew, thank you. I, I want to... Um, I, w- I want you to do me a favor. Let people know where they can hear you. Uh, talk more about movies again uh, before we go. Just what do you got going okay. on? Um, Film Sociology is at, is a podcast at WFYI.org. WFYI.org slash listen. Uh, they normally go up Friday evenings if, you know, the computer doesn't fart on me like last week. Um <laughs> Or, or this, you know, someday, if, if you see me on the street, we'll tell you about the recording of this session. Um, yeah, I might it's be, been outrageous. My, my Betamax VCR clock still blinks noon. That's how technologically bad yeah. I am. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, film sociology is at WFYI.org. Uh, I also do the Blues House Party on Saturday nights and Stolen Moments on Sundays and Tuesdays. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, at Matthew Soce. Um so yeah, that's that's where you can check all that out. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw some of that in the uh, show description as well. And uh, definitely, if if you want to, listeners, go check him out on Facebook because we always he always asks for what we've seen recently. Yeah, that's and I've had a I've had a really great time with you recently because I've been watching like thirty movies in oh. the week that you you know since you did. <laughs> So my goal, since you took two weeks off, or not two, but you one week you did our favorite film of 2020, and then you came back to just like, what have you seen? Right. Two weeks for me, I think I put like 25 Dude. movies on there for and you. I think you also <laughs> were the smartest one. He won't do that. He won't read the whole list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I write the whole list. I had, I had one musician. I had a, a, a friend in Chicago named, who goes by Johnny Iguana, and he has been, he, he sent me like, 12 pages of film titles and i i finally says dude i i'm sorry i can't i just can't so that's crazy um, yeah. yeah i mean it, it turned into a game for me where it was like all right you know I, at first i said sorry for the long list which you gave me shit about and then you read the long list and then at the end i'm like you asked yeah i did you know but you didn't read that so oh uh, oh okay <laughs> Well, I'm just kidding. I'm what kidding. has what has been, and it's funny because I, 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 because I'm not comfortable to go into a movie theater. Um, the fact that I'm rattling off lists, and the fact that I'm hearing people say, "Hey, I watched so and so because you mentioned it," or somebody like you or somebody else would bring up a title and went, "Hey, that's on my watch pile. I should just, you know, get that out of the pile." I'm sure we all have piles of movies that we just haven't touched. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. what we're going through. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's, it's almost a public service and it's also, it's kind of weird film nerd therapy that we're sharing with each other. Our titles. <laughs> and, and to uh, draw back to our, our ball state, uh, the alumni, ball state university, uh, the oh. ball state university, not chirp chirp. Um, <laughs> Shout out to West uh, it's like a- we love you. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, that's what I was going to say. It's like a Garing class. Every time I would take a Garing class, the first 10 minutes were, so what have you guys watched this week? Yep. You know, and then we just rattle off and talk about it. And that's one thing I love about your show. I also listen to it on Apple Podcasts. I'm pretty sure it's pretty much on anywhere you get podcasts yes. also. So definitely go check out Film Sociology. I'll have that in the show notes. 
Again, Joe, Matthew, thank you so much for being with us. We've been through hell in this recording, <laughs> but we've made it through. Hell's a small it's town in worth. southern Michigan. That's right. Absolutely <laughs> worth every second of it. <laughs> All right, guys. See ya. See ya. All right. See ya. All right, all right. That was our top five of our top ten favorite films of 2020. Hope you, hopefully, 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 I can say words. Hopefully, you liked our one through five. Uh, it was a really, really fantastic time sitting there talking with Joe and Matthew. Uh, I had a great time. Again, please, uh, I have in the show notes all of Matthew's information, at least for for film sociology. Uh, look up Matthew Sosi. That's Matthew spelled normally. And Soce, S-O-C-E-Y. Go check him out on Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, he's on the social medias. And, you know, like I said, he asks what you've seen lately. You should definitely tell him. And he'll he'll read it on a show. And, and sometimes he'll make smart-ass comments. He's great. Uh, so anyways, hopefully he'll be back on sometime. I know, of course, Joe's going to be back because he's like a fucking cancer. I can't get him away. Uh, but I love you, Joe. Anyways... Uh, I hope you guys had a good time. If you agree or disagree with any of our choices, by all means, feel free to hit us up on social media, facebook.com backslash medium cool pod, search medium cool pod on Instagram and at medium cool pod on Twitter. Or if you get real fired up, you can email us at medium at gmail.com. And don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the show, wherever you're listening to it, subscribe, follow, like, whatever, if you feel so inclined and if you're willing, please, by all means, rate it and leave us a review. And it give us a huge boost, and we appreciate. I hate that this in this world of of media, sharing media with people, that stupid things like leaving ratings and reviews matter, but they do. So I sincerely appreciate any and all who help us out. We do this for you, and we appreciate you. So on that note, just remember, we love you. Good night, good luck, and take it easy.